0: Luke 23. Forgot where I was preaching out of this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 32. Let me tell you, next week was friend Sunday. So next week, if we have 166 or more, I am going to take some deacons and I am going to push them down Main Street in a wheelbarrow. Not just push them. But I'm going to put them in a wheelbarrow and and take them down Main Street in honor to celebrate. That's what we got going on. So if you show up next week, we're going to eat here. So after we get done eating, we're going to push some folks down Main Street. and Y'all be welcome to, to come take part in that with us. Luke chapter 23 verse 32 is where we're going to pick up. And as you're getting into that, I want to tell y'all something about the story of when I met someone that changed my life. You ever meet someone that changed your life? Husbands, this is where you say yeah and start nodding. I remember 2001. It was August. The end of August, I believe. Something like that. Is that what it was? It was July? It wasn't that early. Really? You serious? I've been telling this story wrong for 20 years. Anyway. Okay. So, the End of July, or early August, I went into a bank, and there was a bank teller there, and her co-workers tried to set me up with her, and the rest is history. From that day forward, my life changed. I met her, we started talking on the phone, and she asked me something. She said, I only date guys who were saved are you saved and my response was saved from what never heard that never heard that phrase and then she ends up explaining to me saved from god's judgment and you know god hell all that stuff and i was like oh uh and i get into it i was an atheist pretty much at the time i was agnostic at best and that being said she was patient with me she was doing what she calls missional dating right she dated a lot of guys and she had a big mission field. Anyway, oh, that was so bad. That was so wrong. That was so wrong. I'm only kidding. She's she was a good girl. Um she was waiting for me. I was the one. True love waits, right? So so that's <laughs> So that's that's how I met her. Now, a couple months later, we were dating. Since then, Someone had shared the gospel with me. My life was changed. She changed my life on that day at the end of July, early August. And she brought me to a preacher who shared the Roman road with me and the gospel with me. And a few days later, after meeting with her preacher sometime in early October, Jesus changed my life. And I remember I went into my office. It was in Bastrop Beautiful little office right next to the gym. It was actually a mop closet for janitors. And there was there was a little floor sink that my desk was pushed up to. And my feet were literally in a mop sink when I was writing this love letter to Nikki. Telling her about how much I loved her and how great of a person she was. And then how miserable I was. And how wicked I was. And then I realized this isn't a letter to Nikki anymore. This is a letter to Jesus. And I had read stuff about Jesus. I grew up Catholic. I was studying about Jesus. Her parents gave me books that would help me kind of find my path there to him. But I didn't know him. And that day, I met Jesus in a mop closet. And I came out a different guy at the end of my planning period than I was when I went in. So that's that's the story of how I met Jesus and how he changed my life. Today, sorry folks, I don't have an Easter Sunday sermon for you. I have a good Friday sermon for you. A lot of people were joking this week, going, well, the preacher, I wonder what you're going to preach on this week. And Man, I didn't know. I didn't know. The music team. They were all joking about it, going, well, I guess he knows what he's going to preach on already. And Nikki was like, no, he really actually doesn't. Only Stephanie came to my side, said, a preacher shouldn't know until the Lord tells him what to pray. And this week, I can honestly tell you, God showed me where I need to be at. And it's that verse or that passage that we're going to get to here, where we're going to be looking at a king on a cross. In verse 32, and God just worked on me all week, and I'm like, Lord, it's not a regular Easter sermon. The people that expect an Easter sermon from me. It was just like, no, this is it. So it's close enough to Easter. It's a couple days off, but whatever. And here's what the word says. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen one of God... The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, as assuredly I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. This story, we're going to be focusing on those three guys on the crosses there. Now, if you read Matthew and you read Mark, you realize we have Jesus at his execution, and Jesus is going to be hung between the two of them. And they were both mocking, ridiculing, reviling Jesus. That's what was going on. That's what it says in Matthew. That's what it says in Mark. So they get there, and Jesus is hung, and there's one on one side and one on the other. And I don't know. If they were kind of in a semicircle or if they were in a straight line. But Jesus was in the middle. And I want you to think about this. As they're getting nailed to these pieces of wood, as they're laid down on the ground, and these soldiers are just driving nails with a big old sledgehammer type of thing down through their wrists, through their feet. They're laying there experiencing that together. This was a day where all three of them, other than Jesus, I guess the two other guys, went through pretty much the same thing. Jesus went through an amazing shredding while he was getting flogged. Jesus went through that. The other two didn't. Jesus went through, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, they literally shredded his back up with a whip that's got nine strands off on it. And in those nine strands are embedded bone or glass or little pieces of metal shards. And they would whip his body with that until it was tattered and torn up like an old ribbon. Most people would die from the type of flogging that Jesus got. So here are these three. They leave town, crosses on their back. people They're throwing rotten vegetables at them. They're throwing all this stuff. As they're parading them out of town, they bring them up this hill, Golgotha, Calvary, whatever you want to call it, and they're bringing them up there to be crucified. It's not a long walk, but it's a long walk if you're towing a couple hundred pounds of wood on your back. And they get there and they lay down and all three of them get the nails and all three of them are stripped down to almost nothing. And they stand them up in front of everybody where they can ridicule them, laugh at them, hurl insults at them, spit on them, all that kind of stuff. And they're there. All three of them would go through cardiac arrest, basically where their lungs eventually would wear out and fluid would build up in their lungs and they would basically begin to drown and their heart would have to beat harder just to try to get oxygen throughout their body. Ultimately, their hearts would die, heart attack. That's how you die during crucifixion. Three of them condemned by man's law. Two of them rightfully so, One of them, not. Jesus was innocent. So, I want you to consider a few things from what I read. They heard Jesus praying for the persecutors. They heard Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As they are mocking Him, laughing at him, hurling insults and hurling trash at him. He's saying that while he hangs there, overlooking Jerusalem, outside the city walls, looking down at Jerusalem, which had a wall and a fence, and they had all of their Passover activities going on in there. They had people getting their sacrifices ready and they were glad that these three convicts are going to get what they deserve. And everybody was going around doing their religious thing. When the Lamb of God was outside the city, about to be killed and slain for them once and for all, Jesus prayed for those folks. All three of these guys were just hours away from death. Verse 38, there's a sign above Jesus' head. This is the king of the Jews, is what it says. I want you to think about that. It's a little sign, it's posted on the cross above his head. Jesus is there between the two other thieves, and no doubt they heard, if they couldn't see it, that it was posted there on top of his head. They understood the crime that Jesus was being crucified for. This is the King of the Jews. And that sign acted as a track, I guess, if you will. It was it was the message of Jesus throughout his life. I am the Messiah, the one called Christ, the anointed one who has come to save his people. I am indeed the king of the Jews. But Jesus wasn't an earthly king. Jesus was a spiritual king. He wasn't there to just be the king of an earthly kingdom. He was going to be the king of the spiritual kingdom. Jesus had that sign above his head. And the people that wanted Jesus crucified, didn't want that sign there. That's a lie. That's what he's being charged of, claiming to be the king of the Jews. Ah, but Jesus was the king of the Jews, as prophesied about throughout all these pages in the Bible. That sign above his head, when one thief looked at it, he thought, you know what? Who cares? That guy is trash, just like us. He's just a bunch of flesh waiting to die, waiting to be worm food. It doesn't matter what it says above his head because we're in the same boat and in 10 hours from now, a day from now, three days from now, we're going to be nothing but decay. That's what one guy probably thought. And then there was the other guy. The other thief who looks at that sign, and I think this is where the change in that thief started. Hearing Jesus praying for people, hearing the compassion that he had, and he's looking at that sign going, man, there's something different about this guy. There's something almost holy about him, and that guy was a Jewish guy, that thief, And if he was a little kid and went to Sunday school with grandma and mom and dad or whoever, he would have heard the stories about the coming of the Messiah. And he would have heard the stories about that. And I believe at some point, he's finally looking at him going, man, you know what? This is not a wicked man like me. This is a righteous man. Who loves the very people that put him on the cross? They were out there for hours. And that thief and this thief both ridiculed and reviled him at first. But that started to change. One thief says to him, Are you not? The Christ? If so, save yourself. You ready? And who? Us. (laughs) Doesn't that sound just so stupid? I mean, think of that request. If you are the Christ, get down from there and save yourself. And me. You want to know why? Because this guy, this thief, this criminal, this convict, represents... You and me, in our fleshly nature, in our worldly nature, we don't like pain, we don't like to be uncomfortable, we don't like to feel like we're being done wrong. Save yourself and us. When's the last time you said, you know what? I want to sign up to go through misery so that someone else can get off free. If you're a parent, you might understand that. When you're a parent, you understand, there's not enough food in the house, I'm going to let the kids eat first. I'll get something tomorrow. It's no big deal. I remember hearing stories from my grandfather during the Great Depression where the brothers and the sisters would all be sitting around the table and they'd all get their tomato soup. You know what it was? Ketchup with some water in it. They'd get their tomato soup, and if there wasn't enough, he'd eat tomorrow. He'll eat something else. He'll come across something. And that's an amazing thing, because you put yourself out, you go through the misery, so that someone you love doesn't have to. But here we have a common criminal, a thug, on a cross, saying, save yourself and me if you can. I don't want to go through this pain. I don't want to go through this torture. The same torture that you're going through, I don't want it either. Now that guy would have had a problem because even if Jesus did save him, what's the Bible tell us? The flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the Spirit. That's kind of that Christianese phrase. You gotta be born again. You gotta be born of the Spirit. And all that means is that you look to Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and He puts His Spirit in you and gives you new birth, gives you new life. Those songs we just sang, tap into it. Oh my goodness, it's the Gospel over and over again in those lyrics. And then we see right here, The response of that repentant thief. He rebukes him. And he says, don't you fear God? This thief over here looks at that one and says, don't you even fear God? Why is this man hanging on a cross who was just an hour or two earlier making fun of the guy in the middle, why is he now rebuking the guy that's on the other cross? About the fear of God. Because something inside of him has changed. He doesn't view Jesus anymore like he did when they first got marched out there. But he is now viewing Jesus through different eyes. Through eyes of faith. Don't you even fear God? And then he goes on and he says, He's under the same sentence that we have. We're all going to die here. And we're all going to meet our maker. Except your attitude about it. It's so sour and bitter. And you're going to carry that all the way to the grave, wherever they put you in the garbage heap. They're probably just going to take his body out to the dump, Gehenna. Throw him in there and let him smolder and burn. But this man, he doesn't see Jesus the same anymore. He's had a change of heart. He's had a chance to repent, to rethink, is what that word literally means, rethink who Jesus was and who Jesus is. He then in verse 41 says, we deserve it. We deserve what's coming to us. The sign of someone that is a born again believer, a saved person, is the fact that they view God differently. There's some fear there, some fear of God. It's a healthy, respectful fear. And they see their sin differently. Do you see your sin differently now than you did before you knew Christ? I remember back to that janitor's closet with my feet in the mop sink. Sin got real at that point. Sin that I had that I was writing down on that paper, teardrops hitting and staining that that ink of that pen, it was real. The weight of that sin was heavy, and it was coming out on that paper, and I'm just writing it down. And when I walked out of there, that burden was off of me when they know Christ. Folks understand their sin, and they own it. This guy was saying, we deserve what we got coming. And here's the other thing. You view Christ as innocent. And that's what his next line is. This man has done no wrong. See, Jesus being innocent puts himself in a unique place to be your representative on that cross so that you don't have to face the judgment of God. And that's what's really going on on this cross. Yes, it was man's law that put him there, but it was God's fury and God's wrath that Jesus was taking on your behalf in place of you. He didn't just die for you. He died as you on that cross if you're in Christ. He doesn't just take the righteous wrath of God for every sin that you've ever committed or will commit. He doesn't just take his wrath for that. He looks at you and he says, I am facing judgment for you. I am taking God's wrath in your place. What's funny and ironic, going back to the request of this criminal who said, save yourself and us, I guess he could have been selfish and said, and me. The irony there is Jesus, when he was refusing to save himself, he was actually qualifying himself to be the savior of the world. The fact that he said, I will not come down off of this cross, no matter how painful, no matter how much of God's wrath he is dumping out on me, I will not come down, and he could have. He could have sent 12 legions of angels to come down and to take care of things right then. But he didn't. He said... I am going to drink this cup. That's what he said the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed three times. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And in his heart, he decided the cross would be his finish. He became the savior of the world when he refused to save himself. Some more irony for you. He was cursed by his enemies that hated him. All the folks around him, surrounding the scene on the top of the hill that day. I want you to understand this. It paled in comparison to the curse that his own father was putting on him. Go and read Isaiah 53 sometime. It was God's will to crush him. All those who die on a tree are cursed, is what the Bible says. And Jesus was becoming that curse facing the crushing of his Father so that he could have a relationship with you. And then the response of the repentant thief he looks at Jesus. In his innocence. And he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw Jesus forgive others that were persecuting him and them when it would have been so easy to be bitter. What would you be like when someone's pounding a nail between your radius and your ulna, cussing at you? What would you be saying back to them? What would you be saying as people are mocking you and spitting at you, throwing things at you? What would you say? Some choice words comes to mind that probably aren't, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Most of us want to fight back but not Jesus. So where this guy sees Jesus forgive others, that resonated with him. This guy sees the sign above his head, this is the king of the Jews. When other folks saw a common criminal nailed up on a cross, he saw the king of glory. When other people looked at Jesus and they saw a wicked blasphemer, he saw a man of righteousness. When he looked at him, He saw a man robed in majesty, but when the world saw him, they saw him tattered flesh hanging off his bones. That's who this man saw. And he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, I tell you this, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine what this guy felt as he's hanging there? Can't do a thing. And he says, you will be with me today in paradise. And he's just thinking, man, I can't do anything, Jesus. All I can do is look at you and know you. And Jesus changed his life right there. That's the day that that man got eternal life. I got it in a mock closet. This guy got it on a cross. And to all those who were out there saying, well, that's a little too easy. There's no way you can change your destination from heaven to hell and not do a thing. you got to have a public profession of faith. He was talking to Jesus. You've got to join a church. (laughs) This guy didn't. You've got to commit your life to Christ. No, you don't. This guy said, remember me when you come into your kingdom because I know that you're a king. I know who you are. I know you're more than what everyone else thinks you are. You're a king. You don't have to Go through the baptism. Some people are like, oh man, I want to get baptized, so I'll go to heaven. Got some kids right now in this room talking about baptism and this, that, and the other. Y'all don't need it because you don't know them yet. Baptism is a picture of the death that you have in Christ and being risen to life with them. This guy didn't get baptized yet. He got eternal life. All these other things that people say you got to be able to do before you're truly saved. Did this guy speak in tongues? No. Did this guy do anything for the kingdom of Christ other than hang there and die? No. You are justified by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. He told this guy, today you will be with me in paradise. That's not the end of the story. The end of this story isn't Jesus plus nothing. I mean, that is the be all and end all of everything. The end of this story is Jesus was dead later on on that cross. And they stuck him with a spear up in the side, and blood and water gushed out. And one of the soldiers that was here dropped to his knees, and he said, Surely this was the Son of God. And then they took his body down. Two of the Pharisees were responsible for his body and the preparation of his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went and claimed his body and they took him and they put him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and they took care of him and they said, we don't care what the rest of our group thinks about us. We are going to claim Jesus and we are going to be tied to his body forever and we're going to bury him in that cave in that tomb, and then the Roman authorities were told that, man, there's going to be a resurrection, and you know that's what they're saying, so let's seal the tomb, put some guards by it. And the guys went out there, and they rolled a big stone in front of it, and they put a seal on it, and the ring of Pontius Pilate sealed it. And they set up guard there. But we all know what happened, because that's why we're here today. Because on that third day, the grave couldn't hold this king of the Jews, this king of kings, this Lord of lords. That stone was rolled away, and it was empty. And Jesus was seen by 500 eyewitnesses from that point on. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. There were 500 folks that saw Jesus with their own eyes that knew it was Jesus. And you know how they died? Most of them, vicious, brutal deaths because they would not deny what they saw, yet there are so many people that say, well, if I just had a miracle, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. You want to know why? Because your heart is hard and you love the sin that you're in. And it's only the Spirit that is going to stir that in you and make you hate your sin where you can say, I don't want any more of me. I just want you, Jesus. I just want you. Jesus walked out of that grave victorious over death, victorious over sin, and you have that same spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what it says in Romans 8. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead Is the same spirit that's alive in you. If you believe that that a man died not just for you, but as you, that he took your sin upon him, that he paid the penalty from God for that sin, that he was dead, that he was buried, and then that he was raised in the newness of life, then you, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, are a born-again believer. And Christ is in you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. You didn't earn it, so you can't keep it. And since you can't keep it, all you can do is bask in his goodness and his glory and his grace. Just thank him with the life that you've been given. Live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you.